Okay, if you would please turn to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 7. I'll be reading Luke, chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited His people. And this report about Him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. My hope this morning is that we will feel this passage on two levels. First, that in 31... 32 A.D. in a little town called Nain, on one day, this actually happened. As if we were at a funeral right now with a body lying here, rock hard. And this preacher guy comes up and speaks to it. And he gets up and he starts speaking. To feel this is an historical moment. That's the first thing. The second thing I really plead with God that we feel is personally, each of us will be able to say, I was that grieving, lonely widow. Or I was that dead, rock-hard corpse of a soul. And Jesus one day walked up and said to me, Get up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that You use me and help me relate these two truths from the Scripture clearly. You are a great Savior. And we have great confidence even now as we pray to You and we pray to Your Father who is our Father because You are alive now forevermore. To your hands I commit the rest of our time. Amen. After the healing of the centurion's servant over there by the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum, Jesus and His crowd start to move and we pick up in verse 11. Soon afterward, He went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So here he goes to Nain. It's this little village about 20 miles southwest of Capernaum. It's about six miles away from Nazareth. And Jesus goes there and his inner twelve and other disciples and a larger crowd. They're following him. And they're coming up to the outskirts of the entry to Nain. And we pick up in verse 12. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. 
And she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with them. So, here's Jesus and His bunch. And they intersect this funeral procession. Now, let's get a little, what's going on in the first century? The custom of the Jews. Probably, this is late afternoon. In the custom of the Jews, usually when someone dies enough early in the day, they don't keep the body overnight. But this is what, this is what happened. Let's just assume sometime in the morning, 4 a.m., 6 a.m., 8 a.m., he dies of the disease or however he died. What would happen is the family then, over the body, would rip their clothes apart as a sign of mourning. They, they would have closed the eyes of the corpse. They would prepare the body by anointing it so that it, it will slow down the deterioration. They would put it on a plank. It's called this beer. It's, it's, it's not a coffin in a sense with walls on it. It's more like a gurney. And they would have wrapped it with cloth. And then later on now in the day, they would proceed in the funeral procession, taking the body through the street out of the town to the family burial place which is outside of the city. There would have been two flute players playing. And there would have been at least one professional wailing woman who cries really well. And then the loved ones and family, the town who wants to come would be there. And as the text says, there were a lot of people there. There was a large crowd from the town. And Luke gives us some significant information about this particular funeral. He tells us the dead guy was the only son of a woman who has already lost her husband. Her financial security is gone. There's no life insurance policies. She doesn't have any other sons to take care of her. And her husband, of course, is gone. So you got that. And not only she's feeling the grief, she's already lost a husband, and now she loses a child, her only son. And she will wake up the next day and the next week, and the crowd won't be there. She'll wake up all alone. I don't, I just, I, 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 what, what's worse, I don't know. But there are two great griefs of life. Losing a spouse whom you love. But losing a child. There's something in this sin-broken world that just says it. Just that's, that's wrong. It doesn't work. It's not supposed to work that way. Parents die first. Luke tells us this information because he wants us to feel what's going on. And so, what we have now is this crying, bawling, grief-stricken widow woman walking in front where, the, where they're carrying the dead corpse of her son and they're going out of town. And then we read in verse 13, as Jesus' group and crowd encounters this other group. And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Okay. Just remember, we're in Luke. Luke is a whole. Luke is writing a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
So let's not forget. Let's just slow down and not forget what's happening here when this preacher guy from Galilee speaks these words to the woman. Remember the whole. We have the Hebrew Scripture. Lots of it, even over a thousand years old. And it is promised in this sin, grief-stricken, broken, sin, disease, death all around, painful world that a deliverer is coming. The son of David, a king, is coming. And then Luke opens up and the angel of God comes to Mary and says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you as a virgin and implant within you a baby who is the Son of God. And we have seen that that baby was born truly human. The baby who in His person is the Creator of the universe. He is God Himself. Took to Himself Genuine humanity. And so, while he's lying in the crib, looking up, in his human nature, through his human soul and his human mind, he doesn't know how many stars there are. When he's two, he doesn't understand that the sun... Is the center we're flying around it? Yeah. He is growing. He will learn his ABCs or his Aleph Bet Gimels Dalet Hayes. And he'll learn Aramaic and Greek. And he will grow through his humanity. Okay, remember, this is the one we saw at 12 years old in the temple. And then 20 years later, he shows up. In his public ministry, and we have been seeing this now for the last couple months, but we haven't seen this yet. This is the guy, this is the genuine human being who intersects this funeral. Just, I'm going to slow down, don't miss the text. Because this is the man, this is the God. Man who said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he walks up to this hopeless, grief stricken woman and says, Luke puts it this way, when Jesus saw her. He had compassion on her. That word he used in the original Greek. He could not have used a stronger word in order to relate the depth of empathy and pity that Jesus felt for her plight. It's the word splankna. Remember that one surge from our Greek class many decades ago? It's the word for your liver, your lungs, your heart. In other words, your guts. That part of us as all human beings anywhere have some type of words for them in any language. It says that part where you, you can be so emotionally grieving or in pain or in fear that you have physical effects. We know that happens, right? You should have been in line at Six Flags with me the other day with Alyssa. Right? Yeah, Chris was there. She's on the phone and we're about ready to get on the ride in about two minutes and literally her, out of fear, her hand is shaking. What's that? What's that? There's an emotional, soulish thing that impacts the physicality. Jesus was floored at the pain. He felt it. He has an emotional 
reaction. See, we see this same thing when Jesus encounters Mary, Lazarus' sister, when He encounters her and she's bawling because her brother Lazarus is dead. Let, let me just read the way John records this in John chapter 11. Listen to it. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also crying, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That, that word trouble, it's, it's, it's the same word when you, a horse goes, this physical thing. Jesus was so troubled that it did something to him. Not shake his hand like Alyssa, but some kind of groan or something come out of him. He felt it so deeply. And, I go on, he said, where have you laid him? And then all this couldn't contain itself. It comes out physically in the next verse. Jesus cried. He was deeply moved and splanked in here. Moved in spirit. Troubled. Okay. So, they're entering Nain. There's a funeral procession. Jesus sees the widow and it hits him personally. This baby that came out of Mary. This true human being who happens to be in his person God. One person, two distinct natures, divine and human. And his human is not mixed with his divine nature to cheat. He is more real as a human being than any human being has ever, ever lived. In other words, just think about this now. Here's Jesus. He encounters pain. He has an emotional, empathetic reaction in here. What would it? I don't, what is that like? We think we know that. We do know it. Because we're made in the image of God. But we know it's not in the way He knows it. In other words, what would it be like to be able to think and to compute and to store information and to draw inferences and conclusions logically. Remember we discussed this when Jesus was 12 in the temple. Now, what would it be to be like that in the temple? A real human being who is unaffected by the deterioration upon his soul and his mind of sin. Nature. Because he doesn't have sin nature. Okay, what would it, what would it be? Not just the intellectual, but what would it be of that other human soulish part? Because he does have a human soul. He's not just God in a box, in a body. What would it be to have his emotional capacity to feel into pain and grief of others? If he is unaffected, if none of those human elements of his have been numbed by sin, nature. See, our sin, our selfishness is to one extent or another constantly and always numbing us to the pain and the plight of others. It, it numbs us to act to the fullest. We do act, thank God for His grace. But we cannot sense, we cannot cry with, we cannot feel to the extent that this man who was sinless, as a human being, this God-man felt and sensed and had an emotional reaction apart from the deterioration of sin upon that aspect of his personhood. 
as a human being. And this Jesus doesn't just feel. He acts. And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then He came up and touched the bier and the bearer stood still. No kidding. And He said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up. And he began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Okay, so he goes straight up to the woman. He says, stop crying. He wasn't saying in some insensitive way, get over it! It's been eight hours already! What he's saying is, you don't have to cry anymore because I'm going to fix this situation for you. And so he walks up to where the dead body is as these guys are holding that plank. He puts his hand on that plank. (laughs) I just, I don't know how, what happened, how much dead silence there was, but you know you can hear a pin drop now. This is strange. And then he speaks to the corpse. Young men, I'm saying to you, get up. Now that's pretty weird. But what is weirder is that this brain dead corpse heard him and got up. See, don't miss it. You've been around dead bodies? Do you know what it's like to touch the arm of one who has just died within the last hour? It's still pliable. It's still warm. Two hours? It's a little cooler. Three? It's getting harder. Four? Five hours? It's like a just dead piece of meat. It's cold. There's been no oxygen to the brain. We're looking at eight, ten, twelve hours here. You know what? You're, you're in trouble if you don't get oxygen. Your heart stops and there's no oxygen pumping into your brain for 20 minutes. You, you may be very fortunate if you ever have brain waves again. An hour, forget it. Ten hours, forget it. This brain dead guy heard this preacher from Galilee say, and command, get up. And he could do nothing less than obey. And the dead man sat up, it says, and he began to speak. You can't speak unless somehow, besides calling the man's spirit back into the body, Jesus healed all those dead cells in his brain and throughout the body. Okay, you're there. Just picture yourself. What do you do? Again, cold. It's hard. Rigor mortis set in. And he gets up. And he starts to say, Where am I? What are you guys doing here? Just read the text. I think this is what you do. Fear seized them all. That sounds appropriate. And then that gave way to glorifying God. They glorify God. A great prophet has risen up among us. Has to be. God has visited us. See, They know their Bible. These are religious Jews. They have the Scripture. They're thinking of their Scripture. It's not the first time this has ever happened. They they see, they understand Elijah, the great prophet. God worked 
unbelievable miracles among him. And in 1 Kings 17 is where you read the story where God sent Elijah to the widow of Zarephath and you know, keeping through the famine. And then one day, Elijah's gone. Get, get, get the connection of the widow who lost her husband. She has an only son and the boy dies. And then we pick up, I'll read 1 Kings 17. And then Elijah went up to the room where the dead body was and stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. One time. Do it again. And a third time. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again. And he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. They knew this story well. And Jesus comes to his town of Nain and he performs this miracle of raising the dead that almost duplicates the story of Elijah and the boy. So much so that the Greek of Luke is exactly the same as the Greek of 1 Kings. The Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. When it says, and he gave the son to his mother, or how he puts that exact same wording. No wonder they say, like Elijah, a prophet has arisen. We haven't ever seen this. This had happened in hundreds and hundreds of years. And he is a prophet like Elijah. But he's much more, as Luke has been making crystal clear by letting us know from the beginning. This is no ordinary prophet. This is the Son of God. This is God incarnate. And there's a big difference in the stories. Elijah, three times, had to beg of the Lord, let his life come in. The difference here is, this prophet just speaks his word to the corpse and the body and the man come back to life. The difference is because as I said earlier got to read everything in context you know what that means? You go to the beginning of Luke and you go to the end. This is where the whole story goes. This man, Jesus, who says, I say to you, arise, is the one who's on the way eventually to the cross in order to put away sin, meaning also all the consequences and effects of sin, including God's wrath against sinners. And including death itself, which he will conquer. This is the one who goes to the cross and three days later rises from the dead. Not like this guy from Nain. He, did, he, he does not have a resurrection body, he was resuscitated miraculously. He will die again. Jesus will never die again in His physicality, in His humanity, in the body that has been raised. He has conquered death. Okay? Therefore, 
This is why I go to the second where I opened up that we get this now. When he raises this guy from Nain from the dead, it's historical, it's truly happened, but don't miss it. It's also a sign. It's a sign. It, it's, it's, it's a parable, so to speak, that serves to the pointer that I, Jesus, am the resurrection. And it's a pointer that that resurrection life is twofold. You know the second fold. This is the way Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's still a day coming, and it's still in the future from us today. When the Lord, this Jesus who encountered the lady at the funeral at Nain, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. All those who are in Jesus as their Savior will come up out of the grave. Molecules will come together. They will have a new, real, physical, three-dimensional, if not even more, life. That's the second dimension. Those bodies will never, ever, ever, ever again die. But, for all of those for whom that will be true, here's the other pointer of Jesus raising this guy from the dead. And that is, before that second physical resurrection, there is this first spiritual resurrection while we are still in our mortal bodies here during this life. In other words, this same Jesus comes to mortals like us between birth and death. And He does it by His Spirit. And He speaks through His Word. And He says, Get up. And they do. They come alive in their spirit to the Lord when they were dead. You remember when Jesus was outside the tomb of, of Lazarus? He made the point I am the resurrection and the life. He who comes to me, though he die, shall live. And he will live forever. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And who has to go ahead and die again someday? As a pointer to this reality. Twofold reality. Have you been raised from the dead? If so, you will be raised forevermore one day to glory, to enjoy Him in the community of the saints forever. And so, this morning, the question to us is, do we have an analogous story to what happened in Nain? In my autobiographical conversion story, I wrote of my own grief-stricken, hopeless funeral procession this way. By the fall of 1980, emptiness and the same old fears were becoming the air I breathed. I fell into my first bout with a sense of profound meaninglessness and mild depression which only marijuana soothed temporarily. I was a hollow, barren 
lost soul trying to numb the pain of reality with that which could never truly satisfy. But the closet of artificial peace was more bearable than the pain and the fear of purposelessness. The same Jesus who met this woman in this funeral procession, the entrance of Nain, for centuries and today, shows up and He brings living hope to such grief-stricken, lost, crying, fearful. Give me more medications, please, doctor. People. And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Those words would have been absolutely cruel and insensitive if He were not able to do something about her problem. The cold, hardened, dead boy that lay behind her. For Jesus to speak to the widow, don't weep. Or to speak to the dead young man, get up. Don't miss it. All of that was unmerited grace. There was nothing in that widow that deserved for Jesus to do that. She did, in this text, unlike the text before, the centurion asked, she didn't even ask. She's just bawling and on her way to bury her son. There was nothing in this dead corpse of a man that deserved or worked for or earned being raised from the dead. There was nothing in him that somehow tapped into the resurrection and life of Christ and now, look at that, I'm raised from the dead. It was all owing to the unmerited compassion and grace of Jesus. The Gospel is all. Every part of it. Grace. Listen to how Paul puts it in Ephesians 2. Believer, are you one? Believer, and you were dead. You were a hardened, cold corpse of a soul before God. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But Jesus came along at the funeral procession of your mortal life. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, while this young man was a dead, hard, cold corpse, he's dead. Listen to this. Don't miss it. Because of the consequences of sin. Death enters because of sin. Romans because of the consequences of sin is why he's laying on that 
plank. And Jesus had compassion and said to him, Get up. You know, in the New Testament, there's only three times where it's recorded that Jesus raised someone from the dead. Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, and this guy from Nain right here. And all three of them, He does it the exact same way. And I don't think it's by accident. Because He does healings in different ways at times. I mean, He has some mud and put it on your eyes. Okay. All three times, He speaks to the corpse. And they come alive. I remember when Jesus halted the funeral of my soul and spoke. This is the way I recorded it. Then in January of 1981, at the age of 19, I began to develop an insatiable desire to read the Bible. I was captivated by the self-authenticating words of Jesus. Then I was overcome by the culmination of His purpose in life, which was to die in the place of sinners in order to bring total and everlasting forgiveness to them. During these days, it felt as if I were the only person in the world who was obsessed with Jesus and His death on the cross. I was utterly convinced that somehow He was the answer to everything. If someone were spying on me as I sat there on the living room couch reading the Bible, they would have witnessed a calm silence, not knowing that inside of me there was a hurricane blowing. The wind of the Spirit was saying, or we can say, the Lord Jesus came by by the Spirit and was saying, Arise. Well, here's how I wrote it. Saying, this is true. This is the answer to the turmoil you have been going through over the last six months. This gospel is the answer to the problem of existence as a finite, sinful, death-doomed 19-year-old. Jesus, He personally speaks the Word and He brings new, everlasting life. The same person walks up to this widow lady in name is the same one who created the heavens and the earth and who said, let there be light. And there was light. This is the One who is the second person of the eternal Godhead walking into name. This is the One who is the Word. This living Word has given us His Word called Holy Scripture. And so the Hebrew writer says, this Scripture is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The words of God through the prophets and the apostles in Scripture is the Word of Christ who will speak come. And when the living Christ speaks, come while the church is faithful to the written Word speaking it into the ear of that soul. Like the sun and stars coming into being, that person cannot help 
become. Any more than this dead young man in Nain could help but sit up and start speaking. He, Jesus, calls into life everlasting those people who don't deserve it and are dead to God and have a hard heart and won't come. And He calls. Come. Even if they're a lost soul sitting on a couch reading the Bible in 1981. He says, Arise. And He does it through the Gospel. Listen to how Paul puts it. We now preach Christ crucified. Okay, what he means there, we preach that gospel, the center of who he is and why he came and he died and bore the wrath of God against sinners and was raised to resurrected life forever. Conquering death and sin. And He's coming back again. Believe on Him. He preaches that message. Okay, we go around. We preach Christ crucified. And guess what? It's a stumbling block to Jews. And it's folly to Gentiles. You want to know why? Because if you go down to the morgue right across the street over here, those dead bodies won't hear you. The brain waves will not function. And they will not react. And that's a problem. Preach the gospel till you're blue in the face. Okay, but here's the good news. We're told, you're my body, you're my hands. I've entrusted this gospel to you, whom I brought alive. Church. You preach it. And so I continue with Paul. Stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ to them is the power of God and the wisdom of God to those who are called Lazarus come forth do the pain and the hopelessness, and the loss, and the sin, and the darkness that is exemplified in this poor widow of this little village called Nain is all around us today in this world. And Christ has entrusted His words through the mouths of His people. The church. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And Paul says, that's why we preach! And we leave the rest to Christ who calls. That's why Paul says, you can trust the unadulterated Word of God. You don't have to clean it up. Love people and say it clearly. And this guy who encountered the funeral at Nain knows what he's doing by his Spirit today. As we closed, here's the other thing. Dear believer, you may be experiencing grief, loss, loneliness, pain, fear of the future, regret, that you took a left turn instead of a right turn back then. You may be feeling all of that so deep that you know there's no way in the world anyone knows 
There's no way that even Jesus can relate and empathize with my plight. So I just want to leave us with these two texts. And when the Lord Jesus saw her, He had compassion on her. And He said, I'm going to fix it. He feels. He gets whatever you feel. He feels it more than you can possibly feel your own experience. As the Scripture says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tried, tempted as we are. Yet He did it without sin. Let us therefore with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let's do that now as we sing, cry out to this glorious Savior who lived the mortal life sinlessly and laid it down for us and knows human suffering and pain deeper than we could ever imagine. Let's go.